Okay. Is this thing on? Yes, it's on. All right. <coughs> <laughs> Lots of you like my mic. It's, uh, it's taken a while to get used to it, but I, I absolutely enjoy it. I can use my hands. And uh, we call it a Britney Spears mic, but I know it's Justin Bieber mic. For some of you who don't know who Britney Spears is. But it's been working well for me, so please, no judgment. Okay. So let me, let me just quickly pray for us, because we, before I pray, we, you can put the slide up, the title slide, but we're ending off a series... Yeah, uh, <laughs> I forgot the 6 p.m.ers haven't been here for a bit, so you guys don't know what we've been doing in 4 p.m. <clears throat> it's a bit rowdy in here. You're so excited. Maybe I should just pray. Let me let me pray. Then we settle down. Let me pray. Okay. Shh, 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 shh. Father, I just want to thank you uh, today, Lord, for. The fact that your word speaks to us, Lord, it's not, it's not me, and I want to acknowledge that, and I want to pray that you would help me so much, that this would not be my words, but that it would be from your word that speaks directly into our hearts. God, I pray that as we're looking at this topic of marriage, Lord, that you would uh, come and shape us and mold us, each one of us, Lord, those who are married, uh, those who are single, those who might be divorced, wherever we are, God, I pray that you would give us your vision for marriage, your vision for uh, a bride that comes together with a bridegroom, Lord. Uh, Lord, we, we just thank you for this time. I pray for open hearts, Lord, and I pray that this would be a foundation that helps us set ourselves up for success in the future or success where we are currently. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we've been looking at this topic for about three weeks now, started off thinking it was going to be one week, turned it into three weeks, and basically what we've been doing is looking at God's vision for marriage. And that's primarily, I believe, found with the first marriage, which is Adam and Eve coming together. And when we see that and we see what God designs is, we realize that the world and Hollywood and the media is an absolute hoax. And it is really lying to us. Because God has a totally different vision for marriage than we get taught in the world. So we've been looking at that. We've been going through just God's design, God's vision for it. This is the last one. If you wanted to listen to the recordings, you're more than welcome to do so. We've got video actually now lately. That we've, uh, that we've been sending to Porch of Struem. They've been watching the sermons just while they've got their small group. So we can send that out to you if you wanted to look. But it's, uh, it's an exciting thing to actually look into this topic. And I want to say that in the church, you know, sometimes when you get together with your family, they say you're not allowed to talk about politics and religion. And I say then, what's the use? We need to speak about those things. And then when we come to church, many people think we've got the stigma that you don't speak about politics, you don't speak about finances, and you sure as heck do not speak about sex. That, you can't speak about that in the church, right? But actually, I want to say, if we do not speak about it in the church, if we do not get trained in godly sexuality and what God sees for marriage and for sexuality, man and a woman, the coming together, if we do not get trained about those things in the church, in the kingdom of God, then you will be trained in the world. Not might, will. So we need to counterbalance this with the word of God. And when I got saved, when I was 17 years old, I think when you're 17, your hormones might be peaking, right? It's like you are, you are so on fire sexually that it's just difficult to, uh, to, to concentrate in class. You guys know what I'm speaking about. Some of you, that's 19, 20, 21, round about there. But your hormones are peaking. And I remember getting saved. So much excitement here. I remember getting saved. <laughs> you guys... 
I remember getting saved. I'm going to try that again. And the church that I was part of, when we tried to, I, I knew that was a broken part of my life. So as an unsafe person, every weekend, the story would be that you would buy alcohol, you would get drunk, and you would try to hook up with a girl. That would be the story every Friday, every Saturday evening. That's my unsaved life that I came out of. And I inherently knew something was wrong with it, but I couldn't necessarily put my finger on it because it was so nice. Like, that's the thing about sin. It's nice. It's not, we don't leave it because it's bad. We leave it because God wants us to leave it. So inherently, I knew something was wrong, and I went to the, the, the Dwemenes, the pastors at my church, and spoke to them about it. Just wanted some guidance as a young Christian. And I remember them just, just saying, we understand young people, man. We know that your hormones are raging. We understand that you're fry any bundle. We understand that. And that was basically my discipleship. And because that was my discipleship, guess what? I didn't stop with what I was doing. And so the first two years of my Christianity, I still wanted, I toned it down a little bit, but I still wanted to kiss as many girls as possible. That was sort of, you didn't want to let that part of you go because it was so nice and you found such fulfillment. That intimacy that you found was so nice. And I'll tell you a little bit of an embarrassing story, but Carla, Carla's my wife, those of you who don't know her. I'm not gonna say, <laughs> not gonna say anything about you. <laughs> We've got three beautiful children, and I got saved when I was 17 years old, and after school, I knew that I was going to TMT, Timothy Ministry Training in Wellington, and I knew that they had a strict rule that said in your first year, you're not allowed to go into relationships. And so I was like, mm, okay, that's not going to be nice. It's not going to be good. I, I know this thing is still rampant in my life, so I need to at least kiss the girl just before I go to TMT because that's going be <laughs> that's going to be the last one. <laughs> so we went to this camp camping place, and I found a girl there, and she waited for her parents to go sleep, and we met each other by the pool. It's all dodgy. <laughs> and there was a kiss, and left it, went back to the tent, and... The next day, she asked me for my number, and I had my cousin's number memorized always. Gave her the, gave her the number. <laughs> I'll end the story now. I'll end it. There's a point to my story. This is not good, right? It's not good. Thankfully, that was the last girl that I kissed before marrying my wife, and it was about, I think, eight or nine years later of, of not kissing because God actually discipled me in that area, and I'm so grateful for it. But you know, the thing that I wanted there and the thing the world teaches you that is counter to what the Bible teaches us is the world teaches you that you can have intimacy without responsibility. I wanted the intimacy. I wanted the, the nice feelings. I wanted the, the, the feeling of being infatuated, the feelings of your hormones peaking. I wanted all of those things. But when it came down to responsibility, hey, can you give me your number? I did not want the responsibility. That is the mantra of the world. Intimacy without responsibility. And that is it with everything. Like when it comes to sexuality, I'm, I wanna say, if you wanna know what the world thinks, that is what the world thinks. Pornography is exactly that. You get intimacy, although it's with a screen, although it's not with a real person, there's a sense of intimacy, but there's absolutely no responsibility that you carry for your deeds. That is what pornography is, it's a fleeting thing. When I look at the hookup culture, apps like Tinder that's growing rapidly around the world, that is exactly what it is for most people. I'm not saying everyone that's on there. Most people, I'm looking for a, a casual date. That's what the hookup culture is. I'm looking for something, but I don't want any strings aside. That's what friends with benefits is. I don't want any strings aside. I want the intimacy, but I don't want the responsibility. 
Abortion is probably another example of that. I want the intimacy. I want to be able to sleep around. I want my body to be my body, my choice. But when the responsibility comes, because I'm telling you a child is an incredibly big responsibility, we say, I'll just throw away the responsibility because I had the intimacy. Is that making sense to you? That is the mantra of the world. And so when we get to the last portion of Scripture, Genesis 2, verse 24 to 25, I believe the Bible teaches us exactly the opposite in the Scripture, and we're going to focus on this Scripture today. It teaches us that the godly foundation for love is within the marriage covenant, and that is a responsibility that you carry. And when you carry responsibility in a godly way, intimacy is to flow from that, not the other way around. It's always responsibility which leads to intimacy, not intimacy, and then you throw away the responsibility. So let's look at that scripture. You're welcome to go and look at what we preached on the other ones if you want, but Genesis 2, verse 24 to 25. Firstly, we're going to dig into this, but he speaks about responsibility here. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Leaving your father and your mother is a big responsibility. It means you need to stand on your own feet. And they shall become one flesh. So not only do you leave, but you attach yourself to someone else is what happened with Adam and Eve and what happens in the marriage covenant. And that is a big responsibility because now you're not only responsible for yourself, but you are responsible for someone else. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And all the single people say hallelujah. <laughs> that, is the, that is the scripture that initially when we think of it, that's the exciting one. But I want to show you the exciting one, the fact that they were naked and unashamed together that flowed out of responsibility. That is not an isolated scripture. And the only way I'm going to show you later where you can be naked and unashamed is when you do it with responsibility. The, only, the other way is you'll be naked, yes. It'll be fun, yes. But afterwards, you are not going to be unashamed. There will be a sense of shame. And that's not only with sex, that's it with pornography. Any of you that have dabbled in pornography or stuck in pornography, you would know. It's like something takes over in your mind and you like, you can't help yourself. You just crave that intimacy, but because you don't have the responsibility, it's not a real person. It's not your wife as it is destined to be. Immediately, as soon as the plaster has been put on that makes you feel better for whatever you're trying to escape out of, I know I was there. As soon as you do that, you feel the sense of shame coming upon you because it's not being done in God's way. If we want it to feel the way that God destined it to feel, we need to do it the way that God destined us to do it. So I'm gonna go through those scriptures, <clears throat> verse 24 and 25, and the first one speaks about responsibility. So you can, you can just keep it up. So firstly, it says three things here. Two of them are in the natural, one is in the spiritual, okay? The, the two natural ones I'm just going to tell you now is leaving your father and your mother. That's something that happens in the natural. You need to physically leave their house. I mean, you can get married and be in their house, but technically I think it's better you need to, you need to there needs to be a sense of leaving, a sense of saying, I'm still going to be with you. I'm still going to love you. You're still going to be there in my life. But my primary responsibility, my primary relationship, my primary covering in life is shifting away from you guys. That's a natural thing that helps, that, were, that happens. And then the second natural thing that happens when we look here is we get added to a person, all right? You leave on the one, the old Bible translations say you cleave to the other. You, you, be, you are united with another person. That happens naturally. We move into ours. We share our finances. We, uh, we'll look at that in a moment. And then spiritually, 
God says, when you do that, I will make you one flesh. I'll make you one, supernaturally. It's not, it's not only speaking about the act of sex, it's speaking of the supernatural thing that God does when we come together. So in the beginning it says there, Genesis 2 verse 24, that is why a man, uh, that is why a man number one leaves his father and his mother. That is, that is an absolutely big responsibility. And what I'd like you to hear as we go into this, especially not only for the single people, for the married people, you need to think to which extent are you doing this actually, but for the single people, I wanna say, you need to look at this and say, yes, marriage is a good thing. Yes, the intimacy is a good thing, but what can I do now while I'm not married? Your life is not gonna start the moment you get married. Some of us think that way. Your life is already happening. You need to prepare yourself now to have a godly marriage. A half and a half does not make a whole in marriage. A whole and all makes a whole, <laughs> as much as possible. And so the first thing that is said there is we, we need to leave our father and our mother. And, and so, so the question you need to ask yourself is, am I ready to leave that, those relationships? Am I able to care for myself financially? Am I able to regulate my emotions without my father and my mother? Not that they are gonna disappear, but am I at that stable place in my life yet? Because that's what you need to work towards. I remember we did marriage prep with Mac and Odin. One of the big things that stood out for me uh, was they said, if, you've got a, if, you, if you get into a fight between you and your spouse, don't call your mom, don't call your dad. It's not that they will give bad advice. The problem is as much as they love their, fa- their son-in-law or their, their daughter-in-law, they love you more. <laughs> and so they'll try and give their best opinion, but it's always gonna be slanted towards the one side. And even if they get it right, the problem is you then go back and you sort out your, your differences between each other, but they don't know about the sorting out. They only know about the trouble. They never hear of the sorting out. And so what are you doing in your parents' heart? And so there needs to come a place where we grow to the point where I say, I'm stable enough, I'm secure enough, I'm stable enough to be able to leave there before I go into another place. And so that is something that we work towards. It's a natural thing. Secondly, it says, and you will be united to your wife, which is also, oh wait, I just wanna read you a scripture on the previous one. First Timothy 5 verse eight, this is so scary. This is like, if you want a scary scripture in the Bible, this is it. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for those of their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What does Mac always say? What? Ouch and amen. Huh? Is that what you say? Ouch and amen. That is it. That is the epitome of what needs to happen there. If you leave, you need to be at a place that you know I'm going to join and I need to be able to provide for them financially emotionally, and you're not gonna be perfect, but learn to lead yourself so that you can lead a family. It's really important that you get to that place. Secondly, you'll be united to your wife in that same Genesis 2.24. So just as you leave on the one side, now you take responsibility on the other side. And the scary thing about this, and I wanna speak to the men here. Romans 5, we're gonna look at it in a moment. It's another scary scripture. Because when you are united with your wife in the natural, what happens is God sees you as one. You'll see in some portions of Genesis, in the beginning of Genesis, when God speaks to Adam and Eve, he says, Adam. Doesn't say Adam and Eve, he could have said that. He says, Adam, because you become one. There is a uniting that takes place. And because there's a uniting that takes place for the, for the wives, we always think that it's such, the husbands have the nice part because they get to lead. 
But you know, the scary thing about leading is you also carry the responsibility for the things that go wrong in your household. Your wife is, in a sense, I don't know exactly, but this is how I understand it. Your wife is not going to stand before God one day the same way that you as the husband stand before God. Because your wife can say, but my husband said. (laughs) I see it that way. I really see it that way, actually. But God will look to the man and he will say, what did you do? So there is a responsibility. So I I hope I'm breaking down that idol of marriage here a, a little bit. It's exciting. The intimacy is exciting. But for the woman, we need to know that we are not to rise above our man to try and take that position that is not ours to take because you don't want that position. (laughs) You want to come under a guy that is able to lead himself, that is stable, that is secure, to come under that person so that you can be in a safe place. And when you're in that safe place as the husband, God is going to look to you and he's going to speak to you about the sin of your wife. Let me read that to you. Romans 5 verse 12, in the, uh, just the first part. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. Wasn't Eve involved? <laughs> Come on, Eve. Weren't you the one that took the fruit? <laughs> Weren't you the one that gave it to Adam? But what does God say? Sin entered the world through one man. There is, a, uh, is that sinking in? There's a massive responsibility for us as women and men. And out of that will flow uh, intimacy. And then it ends off by the supernatural part. When this happens, when you leave on the one side, when you cling to each other on the other side, you spiritually become one flesh. Now, because this is a spiritual thing, it is not something that is ever supposed to be reversed. This is the funny thing. Like, we all pray for our spouses, I'm hoping, you pray, God, please give me the right person. Let them be good looking and blue eyes and whatever. <laughs> like whatever you pray, right? Let them be rich, Lord. I don't want to work or whatever. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> whatever you pray, like you, you are praying for your spouse. What am I Flip, I, I do this sometimes. I get myself. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. So you pray for this person and then, and then at some point you make a decision and some people want to look back at that decision and say, ah, oh, I was selfish, or I, it wasn't the right person for me. Let me say to you, the moment you step inside of covenant, whether it was from God or not, it's from God. <laughs> it's always from God. Because there's supernaturally something that, that comes together. Never again in your life can something come in your mind to say, this was not the right person for me. And that is a big responsibility. Never again in your life. It is supernatural. Later on, when Jesus speaks about divorce, he says, you are not to separate and divorce. Why? Because you have become one flesh. And what God has put together, let no man separate. Now, the world is nuanced. There are difficulties in the world. I understand that. But that is God's vision for marriage. This is always God's vision for marriage. It is that it's not supposed to be separated. That is such a scary thing because that means you need to make it work with that person that you choose. And that's not always going to be easy. Some people will tell you stories that when they get married, it's difficult. Some later on in their marriages, our most, most difficult time was probably about three years ago that we had to work through a bunch of things. That was incredibly difficult. Some people, I, I laughed, Richard and Medler, who are in Somerset West, who lead the congregation there, they said they never fought until they had kids. <laughs> and then they fought. 
It's not always going to be easy, but once you're in that covenant, you need to say, God has spiritually put us together. We are to find one another in this marriage covenant. We are not only to coexist, we are to be partners in marriage as God has, has made us to be. And so I'm not going to go into this because I don't think it's necessary because I, there are uh, good teachings that I can send you about divorce. And I want to just quickly mention, if you want to go read it, Matthew 19, 8, 8 to 10, you don't have to put it up, Kina. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15 to 16, speaks about divorce, and we do see that there are two instances in which divorce can take place. But here's the thing about it. It is never encouraged. It is only permitted. The first scripture says it is permitted when one spouse cheats on the other. You break that covenant. But even there, it says that was only instituted because of the hardness of your heart. Moses instituted it that way. It is never God's heart. The other one is when an unbelieving person marries a believer, which I just want to say is not a good idea. It's really not a good idea. The Bible speaks about it so much. And unfortunately, in our congregation, we've seen people going down that, that line because they are just so idolizing the thing of marriage and love and infatuation and intimacy that they don't realize the big responsibility of marrying an unbeliever. So the second scripture speaks about if an unbeliever, not the other way around, unbeliever wants to divorce a believer, you are called to peace. It never says you, you can marry again or any of those things. It just says you're called to peace. So what we see here is God deems it as incredibly important. He deems it as a supernatural act. And when you are there, you fight tooth and nails, but you get to a healthy place and you make your way through. Are you following me? Okay. So what are we to do? Uh, Quickly, I want to speak to the single people, because this, <laughs> a lot of you, I shared some of this at the youth leaders training, some of you were there, we're getting less and less single people in this church, which is great, <laughs> more engagements, more marriages, it's like I'm enjoying it, I think when there's godly marriages, that's something to celebrate from the Lord, when, when two people are seeking the Lord and come together, I rejoice about that, I think it's beautiful. But for the last two weeks, we've been speaking about the beauty of marriage, and now we are to pray for it. And I knew, like I knew, like I knew, that a lot of you are saying, yes, Lord, give me, give me, give me, but <laughs> you're not realizing the big responsibility and how God might be keeping you in the season that you are so that you can be as healthy as possible spiritually and emotionally and in your character before you go into marriage. So I want to read you a scripture here. This is for the single people. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32 to 35. We always think singleness is, is, is sucky. And I remember as a single person, there were parts that I'm like, you married people don't know what it's like. You don't know the loneliness when you go to bed at, alone at night. You don't know. And I always felt like when, single, when married people give you advice as a single person, they're like, no, enjoy it. I'm like, you've forgotten how difficult it is. <laughs> I get that, but the Bible, what it does here is it breaks down the idol of marriage a, a bit. I mean, it does speak of it as a beautiful God-ordained thing, but over here it shows us that there are benefits to being single as a preparation because most of you are going to get married. Maybe not all of you, but most of you. And so this is preparation. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. 
but a married woman and concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. Let me give you the Leonard International version of that. <laughs> it basically says that married people, and married people, you'll understand this, and this is a responsibility that you carry and that you have to carry well. Married people have more things to worry about. That's true. Married people, you think, maybe? Married people have less time to do the Lord's work. This is not my opinion. This is what the Bible says here. We have less time to do the Lord's work. It's not an excuse. It's not a, something where you say, oh, I don't have time. No, you make time. But it's more difficult. Married people have to juggle serving God and serving their spouses. Married people have to juggle thinking about God and thinking about their families. Married people find it more difficult to be devoted to the Lord. Married people have more responsibilities. Married people are distracted from the Lord more than single people. That is what the Bible says. And so your season of singleness, however long that might be, is, although it doesn't feel like it, it is a gift from the Lord. It's a time in your life when you can be devoted like, to the Lord like you won't be when you are married. It's a time in your life where you can grow at a faster pace than you will grow when you are married one day. So use it. Use it. I'm so scared to quote this guy's name. Never listened to any of his teachings. He's gone very dodge, but he said one good thing. He said, when it comes to this, he said, I won't even say who it is. He said, become the person the person you're looking for is looking for. I'm just going to say that again. While you are single, become the person the person you are looking for is looking for. Okay, I know you are the A3 crowd, the students here, but that's, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I had to. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> I had to, guys. <laughs> I had to. <laughs> okay, okay, settle down, settle down. It was just a joke. <laughs> it was just a joke. Sorry if I offended you. I've been waiting. I thought Andrew would use it. I thought he would say, welcome to church. I know you don't want to be here, but unfortunately, like. <laughs> anyway, use the season that you are in to become the person, the person you are looking for is looking for. See, we've got our lists, and we always think about who we want in a person, what they should be like. But how often do we have a list for ourselves? How often do we think of the high standard we put for the person we want and we think, shucks, if I've got that high standard, I probably need to up my standard a little bit as well. So throw away your list. I said it a few weeks ago. Make your own list. Who is God making you to be? What is he doing in your life now? Why are you still single? Because God is sovereign, isn't he? Couldn't he have sent the right person in the right time already? Yes, he could have. He could have. But where you are now in your life, use it. Use it to the glory of God. Use it to grow. When we do this, when we see the gift of responsibility within the marriage covenant and preparing for the marriage covenant, true intimacy, according to Genesis 2 verse 25, the next verse, flows from that. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So it's interesting, the word there for naked in the Hebrew is the word arom. 
And in Genesis 3 verse 1, just a few verses after that, the word for crafty of the serpent is arum. So it's a wordplay. We don't see it, but everyone who read that in the original language would have seen the wordplay here. We would have seen that when it is done God's way, that word arum means innocence. There was a sense of innocence where Adam and Eve were together in the right way that God destined them to be out of responsibility. But when they fell into sin, the word arum means shame. And that is exactly what you will find. If you do it God's way, within responsibility, within the covenant of marriage, there will be a sense of innocence in the marriage bed that you do not understand. It's a supernatural thing. But when you do it the wrong way, when you fall for the crafty schemes of the devil, the serpent, and when you get stuck into sin, and when you do it outside of responsibility only for the intimacy, you will engage in sexual acts. You will come together with someone, but there will be a sense of shame. It's, again, this is a topic we don't speak about so often, but I can really testify out of my marriage. Carla, I know this is awkward. And Carla can testify that when we came together, yes, both of us have made mistakes in the past. Yes, but I'm going to pray at the end. I believe God wants to heal, not only forgive, but heal some of those mistakes even today. I just felt it as I was preaching. They didn't prepare it this way, but I felt God wants to come into some of you that have made mistakes in this area. But we made mistakes, but God came and he forgave us, forgave us, he healed us. And when we came into the marriage covenant, when we were together, we, I can, I can just testify out of my own life, it was strange. I thought I was going to be ashamed. I thought it would be awkward. But there was a beautiful sense of being naked and unashamed together because it is a supernatural act that God does within the covenant and the responsibility of marriage. We are to do it God's way. And so for the single people, what do we do? We take our season of singleness. You take your season of singleness and you say, Lord, I'm going to have to carry a big responsibility one day. Won't you help me while I'm not carrying that responsibility to learn how to carry responsibility while I'm single? Grow me, Lord. Grow me into the person that I am to be. So that one day when I step into the marriage covenant, this is the prayer. We're saying these dangerous prayers. You actually, it's a dangerous prayer. Lord, show me where I need to grow as a single person so that I can be married. That's dangerous. And then you say, Lord, so that one day I can step into intimacy your way. Don't go for intimacy too soon. You're going to mess it up. You know what it is? It's like God has this perfect gift for you. And it's under the Christmas tree. Christmas trees are dodgy, apparently. But it's under some, <laughs> it's in the corner of your house, right? And you go to it and you say, I'm not going to open the gift. I'm just going to pull on it a little bit. I'm just going to shake it, just hear what's inside. I'm just going to peep through. I'm not going to open it. I'm not going to have sex. I'll do everything until I have sex. What you're doing is you are ruining that gift for yourself. It's supposed to be beautiful. It is supposed to be a sense of being naked and unashamed, and you are taking some of that gift, some of the pleasure of that gift for yourself prematurely. And so you better pray that dangerous prayer today, Lord, help me to carry responsibility and not to go for intimacy before it's appointed time in, in the Lord. That's the prayer that we pray. For the married people, I want to say, you are carrying a responsibility. And so you need to ask God, Lord, in my responsibility that I'm carrying, help me to grow. Help me and my spouse. You've put us together. It is a supernatural thing. Help us to grow together in this holy matrimony that you've made. And God, help us in our intimacy. Because the interesting thing, as single people, you will not believe me. But before you get married, it's like you have to stop yourself in engaging in intimacy before it's time. 
Now listen to me now, because none of you believe me, but you will believe me one day. <laughs> the moment you get married, it flips, and many times there's a fight for intimacy. You want sex. The moment you have it, you're like, okay, now, <laughs> now I need to fight for sex in my marriage so that we keep having sex as, a, as an act of spiritual warfare. So married people, those two things, responsibility, intimacy, both of those things come together. Let's stand. Okay, I actually will involve. Okay, so obviously I'd like us to respond to a couple of things. We this is a dangerous prayer series that we're doing, so I'd like the single people at some point to pray that dangerous prayer. <laughs> if you want, you don't have to. It's a dangerous prayer. It's difficult if God takes you up on it. And then also for the married people, I want us to pray a dangerous prayer at a later stage as well. All right. So there are those two prayers coming, but. As I was reading this one scripture, I feel like God dropped into my heart that there are people that stand here and think, I've gone to intimacy for intimacy too soon. I've played around with what I, haven't, I shouldn't have been playing around with. Some of you, I, I actually feel like some of you have slept around. You've maybe lost your virginity and you think it's too late for me. I don't believe it's too late. I, God does a miracle. God forgives and not only does he forgive, but he says when we bring our sin, when we confess our sins even to one another, we pray for each other so that we may be healed. God not only wants to bring forgiveness, he will bring forgiveness, but he also wants to bring healing. When you confess it today, I've been in a church, in church services before where we prayed for people who lost their virginity to say, Lord, give them their virginity back. And I've heard testimonies of people, of, of ladies actually bleeding again when they have sex with their husband that day. God is able to do a miracle. I'm not saying he's going to do exactly that for you, but he's able. He's able to give you that sense of innocence again, that when you walk into the marriage covenant, that, that part of you, although you'll have to fight, it will be eradicated and you will come with a sense of, God, this is you. God, this is you, a sense of innocence. And so this is a really awkward thing, I know. And I don't want to shame anyone today. I don't want you to, to, to tell everyone exactly what you've done because I know this is extremely sensitive. But I do believe there's power when we confess our sins one to, one, one to each other. There's power in it. And when we can pray for each other, I believe that God wants to bring healing. So maybe can we close our eyes? I'm going to start with that. I'm gonna, I just want to pray for us in a moment. If you can just all keep your eyes closed, please. I'm going to pray. And you know what? There is something of, an, of a, an acknowledgement that is really good for you, although it's difficult. You need to acknowledge it. And I'm going to help you now, just in a moment, I'm going to help you to acknowledge it before God, not before any human being. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up for two groups. First the one, and then you'll keep your hands up, and then the second group. The first group I'm going to be so strict that no one opens up their eyes. Well, both groups, actually, extremely strict. I'm not going to open my eyes. And then I'm going to ask, if you have lost your virginity and you feel like, God, I, I went there too soon, please forgive me, please heal me, then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand 
And I'm just going to ask God to come and do that. So just in a moment. And then secondly, I'm going to ask if there's anything in general where you've stepped over the line and you just want God to come and restore that and say, God, help me to do it your way in responsibility. Okay. So can I ask all the eyes to be closed, please? No eyes open. My eyes are closed. I'm going to look the other way. This is, not, this is not between me and you. It's not between a leader and you. It's not between the person sitting next to you or standing next to you. It's between you and God now. You are crying out to God because God is the one who yields. We are to pray together. We are to acknowledge it, but God is ultimately the one that yields. So it's before him that you do business now. So if I can ask you, if that's you, firstly, if you, if you slept with someone and you realize now it was just intimacy without responsibility, it was not in the marriage covenant, can I ask you to raise your hand? No one is looking around. Please, I'm asking you now, do not look around. Just keep your hand up for a moment. I just want to pray for you. Lord, I don't know how many hands are up. I don't know, even know if there are any hands up, but if I know this world, I know there are. Lord, and I just want to pray for each individual standing here. Lord, I want to petition you for a miracle right now. I want to petition you that you would break off shame in every person, Lord. I pray that they would walk free, Lord, that you would even take those memories away, Lord. I pray that you would give them a godly vision for marriage, Lord, a godly vision for intimacy, Lord. I pray your forgiveness over them right now as they're raising their hands, Lord. Your forgiveness, Lord. We thank you that you say that when we ask forgiveness, you will forgive. Thank you that you do forgive right now in this moment. You are busy forgiving, Lord. And Lord, not, not only that, Lord, but I believe that you want to come and bring healing, Lord. Healing in the sense that when they move forward in their lives, it won't be like a shadow that is cast over them. That they will be able to say it was paid by the blood of Jesus. When they walk into their marriage one day, that they will say, I am free, I am healed, and I am pure in this marriage because God has made me pure. So Lord, I pray for each individual raising their hands. Lord, won't you come and do a miracle right now? Lord, I pray, just as they may be doing business with you, God. Lord, I pray, come and bring just the sense of your love, Bring a sense of your acceptance. Lord, bring a sense of your forgiveness over them right now, God. Bring a sense of your purification, Lord. I pray that they would see your thoughts about it, Lord. That is not someone standing with a stick ready to punish, but it is someone that knows that the serpent was there and the serpent cunned them into falling into an area of sin. That the world deceived them, Lord. That is how you see it and you are saddened by it, Lord. And I pray that they would experience your love and forgiveness and not your wrath in this moment, Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray for your, your Holy Spirit to come and do a deep work here. May today be a line in the sand that is drawn to say, yes, that was the past, but God has given me a future. God has given me a future. Can I ask if in any way you want to pray these prayers, any sense of intimacy without responsibility, in the marriage covenant, that you would raise your hands. Please, anyone. I know there will probably be lots of us. Lots of us. If we just want to pray again, we want to pray that God would release a sense of shame, that he would give us forgiveness. Some of you, I think this is a moment to say, right, God, I'm, I, I want to stop. I want to stop with what I'm doing, because I think some of you might be actively involved in it now. And I want to encourage you to go to someone and confess your sins, bring it into the light. But if you want to pray just, as, just what I feel like God wants to do this. He wants to bring deliverance to you. Can I ask you to just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. I know this is awkward, it's difficult, but like this is God's way. Lord, I pray for your forgiveness right now in Jesus' name. 
Lord, I pray just the thoughts that may be even hounding these people, Lord, the thoughts of what was, the mistakes that they made, the things that they walked in before, the people that they were with, Lord, all of those things. Lord, I pray that you would bring a renewal of the mind right now. Lord, I pray again for a miracle, knowing that you can do it, Lord, knowing that you wash us clean by the blood of Jesus. Not you can, but you will and you do. You wash us clean by the blood of Jesus, Lord. Oh, come and wash them clean right now, Lord. Come and give forgiveness, Lord. Those who are still stuck in it, Lord, thank you that your grace is not only forgiveness, but it's also the ability to say no to ungodliness, Lord. I pray for grace upon grace upon grace, Lord. I pray that they would feel such a strong tugging towards you, Lord, that they would find so much intimacy with you, Lord, that they would not run to these places, God. We pray for a pure bride, a pure bride. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Maybe if someone can just be on the keys a bit. It feels a bit, they need the keys. So let's pray those, those dangerous prayers. Okay. And this is for those who want. I'm not saying all of you have to pray. Those who want. I don't know, maybe Henry, you guys can come pray with. Even Mac can come pray with wherever you are. I don't know where, where the mic is. Just maybe you can, Henry, you can pray for, for the single people. Just pray. Just pray growth and responsibility and for that intimacy. So if you want to respond as a single person, Henry will lead us in a prayer. Now, Father, firstly, before we pray, Lord, just want to say thank you for your design, Lord, your perfect design, Lord. That if we look at your scripture and we look at how you designed it, Lord, that it's perfect. There's even a sense of excitement, Father, when we look at it, Lord. Father, I want to trust for the singles, and I, I want to ask each one of you to maybe pray in your heart in agreement with me. I think it might be a little bit much if each one of us pray together, but in your heart, in agreement, pray with me. That, Father, I do desire marriage. It is a gift from you. But, Father, I want to pray that dangerous prayer that you would start with me today. As your son, as your daughter, God, that you would come and form me into your image, God. However that might look, <laughs> dangerous prayers, however that might look in this season, God, I want to be patient. I want to enjoy my singleness. And I want to enjoy you in my singleness, God. So that I can enjoy my marriage. And I can enjoy the responsibility of marriage. Because you have already formed me. Start with us, God. I just felt um, just kind of a word for, I don't know, a girl here. I just felt that there might be someone here who's always felt like they're going to get a wedding dress that's like off-white or blush or cream or something. Mostly because they felt that they were tainted already or they had just done something and they didn't deserve to get a white dress. Um, but I just wanted to give you a word say, the Lord reminded me of that scripture in Isaiah where it says, come reason with me. Um, though your sins are scarlet, are red as scarlet, or whatever, I'm going to wash you as white as snow. And just with that, that God.
God brings purity to you. And you don't have to feel like you can go off-white. You can actually get a white dress because God's brought purity to you. Beautiful. So um, if that's for you, you don't have to show anybody. Just Let's all just close our eyes. I think it applies to quite a few girls here or guys too that have also stepped over that line. Would you just softly pray this in your own heart as I lead you in this prayer? Lord Jesus, you know nothing's hidden from you. But Lord, I want to trust you that you would make me a virgin again. That you would wash me pure, Father. Lord, as I've prayed, clear my mind of all thoughts, all memories. And Lord, set me free from all soul ties, emotional connections with people that I was involved with where there was no responsibility. It was out of your will. Thank you, God, that you, I have repented and you have forgiven me. Let me know to the deepest part of my being how I've been forgiven. Lord, rid me of guilt. Rid me of shame, Jesus. Rid me of destruction. Because the enemy wants to destroy me, Lord. But you have saved me. And you are an ever-present help in time of need. I thank you, Jesus. Your arm is not too short. It's long enough to save me. You are a merciful, gracious God, abounding in love. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just want to pray for the married couples. Lord, I pray that you would inject each one of us with a, with a desire for each other, Lord, after you, that we would see each other through your eyes, Lord, not through the eyes of the past or through the eyes of they not measuring up or through the eyes of my own failure, but Lord, we would see each other through your eyes and your eyes only. Increase our intimacy, increase our understanding, increase our unity, increase our grace for each other. Lord, as your mercy is new every morning for me, help me to have fresh mercy for my spouse every morning. Otherwise, I have no right to that mercy that you give me. Let me sow as I receive from you, God. I worship you, Jesus, for every couple here. And I thank you for the new couples that are joining us, that are getting married. Let them always be conscious of your love for their spouse and for them, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. We're going to end off with a song together. So um, let's just respond in our heart. I think it's refined as fire. That we would end with that prayer that God, you would come and refine us to look like you. <laughs>